aboard the battleship pretension i am tyler smith i'm david Bax, and thank you for listening david yes how you doing uh i am doing very well actually lately in terms of like why do you give me a dirty look because my natural assumption is that the other shoe's gonna drop well no Uh, what i'm talking about is that i am i've been eating well and exercising a lot lately mm -hmm. and part of like in terms so that's helped me physically my mental health what i've been doing is basically spending less time on twitter um and trying to be more positive in general if i do post on twitter it's like because i said like so you know people are posting like what are your and i don't want to give away all my favorite movies of the decade because we're Mm going to do an episode in december on our favorite movies of the decade but like i'm trying to be positive on twitter um although i did uh slip up and say something uh, tonight, but that's not the point. Um, I'll tell I'll tell you mine in a minute. But uh, I did one on Facebook. But uh, okay. Well, what happened was, so I didn't tweet about. Okay, as soon as I saw, <laughs> there was something that made me very very angry. Okay, despite my trying to be positive, and I am patting myself on the back for not tweeting about it. Okay, but basically, the AV Club, AVClub.com, a website sure. that you and I both love, and mm-hmm. that I read uh, religiously, and have. Uh, since it was the back of the onion print edition right. in like the early two thousands. They don't do um, the print edition anymore, right? I don't I think so. Don't. No. I, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, they published their list of the 100 best TV shows of the decade. Okay. And I, st- I, I opened it. I was like, I'm going to scroll through this. I'll read some blurbs. If it's a show that I care about, I'm not going to get worked up because i I'm not really into TV anymore. So there's probably a lot of stuff from the second half of this decade. I haven't really even seen, and I'm not going to let this upset me. And I'm scrolling through and I'm okay. 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 And I'm doing fine. I do have a question. Okay. Are they, are they only counting shows that started? Are they? No, no, it's majority of episodes Got in it. the 20 majority of episodes. Okay. That's um, so I'm scrolling through and I'm like, uh, doing, I'm doing fine. I'm staying positive <laughs> and I get to the very bottom and it's, I'm getting so angry again. It's number two, mad men, number one, breaking bad. And it, all of my positivity, it was, you know, that moment in the Christian Bale Terminator salvation rant when things, <laughs> when things are starting to calm down and then, and then the DP again, opens his mouth again and Christian Bale goes, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. I'm like, you can hear him being held back physically. <laughs> that was the reaction that I like. I, I was like, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm like Joe Pantoliano and bad boys too. Ooh, sigh. You know, yeah. I, 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 and then I, you I turned got, into Joe Pantoliano and everything else. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I just breaking bad I over, a, not only over mad men, which is, which I would have been okay with. Obviously I love mad men mm-hmm. over Hannibal overglow over insecure break like i understand it was a big phenomenon and it's very well made but it's over mad men the, the, it's a, it, i don't from av club that surprises me genuinely like i know it feels like an entertainment weekly type of movie. yeah the, the random moron i can see <laughs> really loving breaking bad and really being like that's clearly the best of the decade right uh, and to be clear i do love Bre- breaking bad I, I do not there are things i love <laughs> uh, about it but, but yeah. i but i also love it the way i mean like uh i know that it's stupid mm-hmm. i guess is what i'm saying like it seems smart and there are there are episodes and i you know I'd sometimes in my memory i think more about the stupid stuff like yeah. uh what is it like say my name 
you're goddamn right. That's which, so stupid. Which the but, actor, like, and that's the thing is, Brian Cranston sells it enough. Yeah. That it's, you know. But I guess when I go back and think about, especially like the early seasons, and I think about like the character work and the family dynamic and how much of it is a family show, and when sure. I when I when I don't think of Breaking Bad as the like Heisenberg versus Gus yeah. show, when I think of it as uh, this flailing desperate man uh, trying to help his family in a self-centered way yeah. for obtuse uh, with obtuse motivations and fucking things up. Yeah. And I think about like Walter Jr. and and uh, and, and a Guns character whose name uh, Skyler, you yeah. know. And I think about Hank and and uh, Betsy Brandt. What's her character's name? I don't recall. Um, that's the show I like, but then I think it got too much into the yeah, but big dumb crime stuff. You and I, but I mean, I like the crime stuff of The Sopranos as well, but you, you and I have been on record as like loving the stuff between Tony and uh, Carmela yeah. more than the crime stuff. Of course, you can't really separate the two, but what made The Sopranos a little bit more unique is that you spent just as much, if not more time with his actual family as opposed to his family in italics, uh, as a community (laughs) would say. Um, and so, uh, but, but there are plenty of people that were like, Oh, that stuff's boring. I just want that. I want to just want the crime stuff. And I think that's what happened. And and these are people who like hated Skylar as a character because she was opposed to Walter White. Yeah. Which is, what she should have been sure <laughs> like he became a, a monster that was that was more interesting yeah. but just like the let's see heisenberg get away with cool shit version of the show that i think a lot of people like um is very uh, meaningless to me and again i do i really I, I don't regret watching a second of breaking bad i'm really yeah. glad that i watched it i can definitely see it being a top 15 show for sure. for the pure sort of uh baseline primal pleasures that it gave me and but, the, and the larger cultural impact that it made uh as I, far as but more than Mad Men? i don't know i don't know i uh, but anyway my point is i didn't tweet about it and part of what my the deal i made with myself because i'm trying to be more, more positive on twitter is i was like well i'm gonna at least talk about it on the podcast exactly because at that point so I, you'll you'll bottle it all up yeah and <laughs> but i feel out. like the difference is that if you're listening to this podcast you have you have made an agreement with us and with yourself to hear my opinions on stuff you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas if you're just scrolling through Twitter, what do you need my negativity? Maybe you love Breaking Bad and uh, you know, yeah. you don't need uh, you don't need me ruining your day cuz you did follow you though. Although, uh, you know what? I see a lot of stuff where it's like, "Oh, this person follows this person and they like and they this. like this." Yeah. And I'm like, I, "That's But also they might have followed me for, you know, it's 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 different. I don't know. I, I don't like to clog up people's right. feeds with, or I'm trying to get away from clogging up people's feeds with negativity. Um, now I'm clogging it up with just like, check out this review on the website, which is probably, uh, not fun, but it's, uh, it's better for my mental health. But yeah, I did. Um, because our friend, um, uh, Emily Vanderwerf, um, tweeted something about how the, um, <laughs> 
the like the dumb girl power moment in Avengers Endgame was one of the stupidest things that's ever happened in a movie. I agree. And I um, well, I wouldn't go that far. But. And I it reminded me of something I tweeted back in 2011, which is that the scene with Rose Byrne in the lingerie in X Men First Class is the dumbest thing that's ever happened in a movie. And so I went back to 2011 and retweeted myself and said this is still true. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you remember that scene. I do not remember that scene. Okay. I forget that Rose Byrne was in it, but uh, uh, well, I don't know how you forget that Rose Byrne's great. Um, yeah, but, uh, no, there's a really dumb part where she's, what is, what is she? She's like a secret agent or something. I can't remember the, well, I know the she thing. plays Moira McTaggart, but I don't remember exactly what they give right. that character to do in the movies. Um, yeah. So she's, um, a, a secret agent and, um, uh, let's say, and they're staking out some guy and they see him go into like a, like, a uh, what do they used to be called? Like the playboy club. Is that a thing? Uh, the, like the, Oh yeah. I don't know. They went to one on Mad Men, so yeah. I feel like it was something like that. Is it called the Playboy Club? I doubt it. That doesn't sound familiar, but maybe. I think there was a Playboy Club. Anyway, they go into some place. Like, so he gets out of a limo with a bunch of like young women in lingerie. Right. And Maureen McTaggart, who's, of course, dressed like anyone would for an all-night stakeout as a police officer with full matching lingerie under her, uh, under her clothes. Sure takes off her clothes and follow like sneaks in, like follows them in. It is, it's the stupidest thing that I've ever seen, uh, happen in a movie. So it, I, it's, it's like, I honestly think, I'm sorry, this ha- this movie is from 2011. Why am I mad about it still? But that is a 12 year old boy's idea of, Oh, well I assume women just have like, oh, yeah. like coordinated, sexy, matching lingerie under their clothes all the time. <laughs> Yeah, it's sexy. Don't girls want to feel sexy? <laughs> and, um, that, and that made it into a movie, and I'm still, eight years later, uh, I'm still shaking my head about it. Um, <laughs> well, now I'm thinking back on, like, all the dumbest things in, in movies of the last ten years. But um, Well, there's, oh, man, I, I, I'm not sure when Joker is far enough out that I can talk about specific stuff. Mm. Um, because there's a part near the end that is a challenge to X-Men first class for dumbest thing. Like, um, I mean, in terms of like one of the hardest I've ever laughed in a theater at something I was not supposed to be laughing at uh, happens in Joker. Okay. Um, you've told me, I think, but I forget now it's, I, yeah, I, I don't know. How, okay. If you haven't seen, I feel like everyone's seen, if you haven't seen Joker skip ahead, this isn't a huge spoiler, but skip ahead after when he's in the cop car, and there and the ambulance oh, yeah. crashes into That's him right. and like the cops are either dead or knocked out and he's like all drowsy and then all the clown like the riding clowns like reach in and gingerly lift him out of the car yeah. and lay him down on the on the hood of the cop car i could not contain myself do you think so stupid do you think not that i'm necessarily defending the decision there is a scene like that in the 2004 spider-man 2 where Spider-Man has saved the 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 train, the runaway train, and the strain of it has worn has uh, caused him to pass out, and he starts to fall forward, and then the the people all catch him, and then they sort of lift him up over. Yeah, but themselves. that's different. Think, He's Spider-Man, right? But this is Joker for these people, and that's stupid. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I just, is that doing that with Joker is stupid. Yeah, if something is a if something is is a is sort of its own 
dark mirror homage to uh, something else in the genre, I'm more forgiving of it. But I, I, but I think it's so that's, that's exactly the kind of superficiality that is the hallmark of that entire movie Joker, not Spider-Man two, which is, uh, Maybe the best comic book, the best superhero movie. It's Spider-Man up there. Two. It's I think a top I'm, five for me, certainly. Avengers, the first Avengers, is up there as well. I think my okay. I like Spider-Man Two. Mm-hmm. I like Wonder Woman a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Superman. Somebody, yeah, yeah. Um, and then yeah, Avengers would be up there for me. I feel like I need a, a fifth one. I don't know. Blade. Does it? Have- <laughs> <laughs> Blade's pretty good. I feel like Blade as a movie. When it's referenced, it usually is follow, uh, it's following the phrase, I don't know. So <laughs> what's, what's your favorite, uh, like super, uh, you know, like, like R rated superhero? I, I don't know. Blade. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I have to think of a fifth one. Well, okay. So you said, are you, you said, oh, maybe super, X-Men too. Superhero X-Men or comic book movie? A superhero movie specifically. I'd say Incredibles. Um, hmm. Or does that feel like cheating? No, it doesn't feel like cheating. Unbreakable. There's, um, there's but that's, I mean, Unbreakable is its own thing. Yeah. I guess what I'm talking about is the movies that feel like the platonic ideal of what of like, if you say the word superhero movie, sure. the thing that you're, the type of thing you're thinking of, I feel like Spider-Man 2 and Wonder Woman and Superman and to some extent adventure Avengers and maybe X2. Um, X2 is, is pretty solid i mean i didn't see you and i, you and I both like, really like batman returns but for as far yeah, as but that's its own, again yeah. that's it's that's as a tim burton movie thing, not yeah. a yeah yeah um i like the shadow myself but again that's that's of the that tim burton legacy kind of thing well speaking of that uh you mentioned the incredibles as being kind of a a cheat or maybe kind of a con- contrarian like a hipster pick because people sure. don't expect it i was recently trying to think because I feel like everyone has a favorite superhero, and I've never had a favorite superhero. And it occurred to me the reason I never been able to have one is because I never thought, I never realized that I've had a favorite superhero all along, and I forgot to think of them as a superhero. But that's it's not based on a comic book, and this character does not wear a costume, but this is absolutely a superhero, and it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, sure. I think that's my favorite superhero. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, uh, many years ago for um, our friend uh, Rob Sesternino's website, I uh, was reviewing movies for them for a while, and um, uh, we did, me and, and some other contributors put together like a list of the best superhero movies of all time. And I found myself thinking in terms of, of uh, more comic book movies than superhero movies, which is something that I had to... Um, something I had to work out the difference between the two because okay. I mean, technically, you know, road to perdition and a history of violence are, are Oh, speaking of history of violence, someone movies. said for our best, like staircase scenes in movies, we forgot the history of violence I, sex scene, which I'm so is, mad at myself for that's. And the fact that it's on stairs, I mean, there's yeah. so many, there's so many emotionally uncomfortable things in that scene that I forget. That's physically uncomfortable. Uh-huh. I would assume. Yeah. Um, but uh, I will real quick say that, uh, yeah, I also have tried to um, stay positive. And for the most part, I think I, I have been positive and I try to be kind of humble with some of my movie opinions, especially expressed online. 
But there's just something about these Facebook groups. Uh, and when I, <laughs> that's, I mean, that, you just got to stay. Away. I know, I know. But when I see somebody being dismissive, uh, it just brings something out in me. And so I'm part of a Facebook group, uh, called infamous horror. And it's just all about like horror movies and that kind of thing. And I've learned, uh, I've, I've learned about like some, some horror movies that I previously didn't know. And so that's why I'm a part of it. So someone put out a post saying, Hey, what is everybody's thoughts on the Babadook? And I knew that there were going to be a lot Timely. of people. That, <laughs> I know it's very strange. I, I guess because it was Halloween recently. That was it. I think so. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I know what people think of the Babadook, like hardcore, horror, some hardcore horror fans don't really like it that much. Um, other people really love it. And, uh, so there are a lot of negative things. There are people who are just like, who are like that kid was so annoying. And, I didn't say anything to them, but I was just like, do you, do you think that is that a strike against the movie? Because the main character's on board with you. Like the kid's supposed to be annoying right. for a good portion of it. Like, are you, you're like, wow, oh, this, oh, this, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know what? It's the same fucking thing is like when people get mad at the character of Skylar because like, no, this isn't, she's making me feel different than I want to feel. And art should only ever be what I want it to be. Uh, but anyway, uh, and then there was one person who said in regards to the Babadook, that's the worst, uh, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. (laughs) And in my mind, that person needs to see more movies. So I responded to this person and I said, you've seen worse movies. You just don't know what they are, uh, which is really shitty and mean uh, because it's it's really, really condescending. Yeah, Uh, they didn't respond to me, which is good because I it 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 often happens late at night. I'll be just kind of. Uh, and and my defenses are down, and so I'll be just kind of browsing around, and uh, I see something. I respond with what I think is maybe some kind of clever retort or something, and then I wake up the next day. I don't drink, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I wake up the next day, and it's like, and I see a notification, or often several notifications to a tweet or something. And I'm like, what's this about? Oh, right, I forgot. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, the thing about worst movies, uh, like. Cause that was, uh, on the, on the best show, uh, a podcast that I've been listening to for a long time. Not quite as long as I've been reading, the, reading the AV club, but, uh, a long time it's up there. Yeah. Um, uh, a recent episode, they were talking about worse movies and I realized that like most of the movies that people talk about when they say the worst movies are not actually the worst movies mm-hmm. to me. I have, I forget what the worst movies I've ever saw, saw seen are because the worst movies I've ever seen are the most boring. You know what I mean? Like when people talk about something like, I don't know what's a like notoriously, uh, well, like something like sucker punch came up on the, on sure. the best show dis- discussion. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to argue that sucker punch is good, but I would not consider it one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I'm glad I saw it. Same with Joker. They're both really, uh, really dumb. Um, and, and, uh, uh, at times almost offensively misguided, sure. um, and, uh, and incredibly shallow, but, uh, they're at least like, these are the movies of someone trying to execute their vision. And to me, that's Absolutely. more interesting yeah. than, you know, I don't know, like, uh, I'm trying to think of a movie from, from this year that was just like, like good boys or, or like, sure. isn't it exactly. romantic? Yeah. Like movies this year that are like, 
there's nothing this movie doesn't have anything to say yeah i mean i guess in a way forgettable and bland is inherently worse yeah. than something but there, I are occasional, say, there are movies that make me angry not because of their quality or even a, a waste of resources um there are movies that it's like this is this point of view this person's vision is almost irresponsible i would say vice uh vice vice is is, as you know i dislike quite a bit vice is one of the worst movies of the decade and um it's the rare example that it is like it is train wreck bad and yet not even fascinating in that train wreck way i would say passengers is a similar uh recent one that's just like um it's not bad out of blandness it's it's aggressively bad and yet it's not fun in any way there's nothing that redeems it for there's me. there's that movie that no one saw but i did <laughs> struck by lightning struck by lightning of course that. of course because that that one honestly okay so if i'm being honest uh that movie came out in 2012 and my takeaway from that movie is like, oh, this is a film that would appear to be anti-bullying, but it's not. It's actually in favor of bullying certain people. Mm. Uh, and this kid feels marginalized. And so his his view, and again, he may not actually be, but he feels marginalized. And so he feels like, oh, okay, the popular kids, the hip kids, I'm going to hurt them. And at the time, I said, that is a very irresponsible way of thinking. I do think that uh, uh, there is an attitude about that now that like if you uh, and I don't mean in a larger political sense, I mean, like uh, based on. Yeah, okay. I've read a lot of Internet comments and I really shouldn't. But just the way that people go at each other. So but those aren't like that's not real life. life. Yeah, that's not how people actually talk to each other. It can be. It um, shouldn't be. But, uh, but I don't yeah. read it. I don't read. I, don't, I certainly don't read YouTube comments. Um, I read AV Club comments, and that honestly oof. is. Uh, it don't get me wrong. It has sparked uh, some of my uh, my Tyler's takes. Oh, it's, um, keep doing it in that case. <laughs> I, and you know what? I did put a Tyler's take on more than one lesson, not BP. Uh, because it felt more, it felt like what I was saying was more politically conservative. Oh, okay. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I started to regret it cause I wasn't sure what people would think. You do you. It was about, uh, the Richard Jewell movie and people's reaction to the choice of making that movie, regardless of the film itself. I don't know about this stuff. This, this is the, this is the upshot of me spending less time on Twitter is I don't, I don't know about all this stuff. Like I follow news news. Like sure. I, I don't get my news from Twitter. I, mm-hmm. I read the news, um, <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, so I'm, I'm up on the important stuff and stuff like people's reaction to the Richard Jewell trailer. Yeah. I don't, I don't ever have to learn about it. It's pretty great. Not just not this, this, this Twitter diet is pretty great. I remember years ago I, I decided, I think it's when I turned like 30 or 31 and I was like, okay, People watch the news. I'm going to watch the news. Don't ever. And I watched it. It just like regular, you know, just but the half hour news. Television news, I, don't, I think it's like, it's almost, people talk about, uh, I can't remember who had that quote that it's impossible to make an anti-war movie. Sure. I think it's impossible to make good TV news. The, the, my, that was my take. I lasted three days. Yeah. And I was just like, and I thought back to my parents and my grandparents watching the news. And I just thought. Well, how, am I missing something? Like, 
this is unwatchable and just and to me it was all the in-between stuff it was like the shitty bantery stuff in between <laughs> stories i'm like this is the, is gonna make me put a gun in my mouth uh but uh, so i was like or i can just stop watching the news which i did well um yeah you can maybe uh, i'm sure there are some good podcasts out there where you can listen to the news and you want to do so with your tweakedaudio.com earbuds tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and styles in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Today, Tyler is listening to the new Vince Staples song called Yo Love, which is from the soundtrack to the upcoming and much anticipated by yours truly movie, Queen and Slim. Mm. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to Queen and Slim. I mentioned. I don't remember who directed that. Uh, well, that's what I was going to say. I mentioned. Uh, in my rant earlier about the best TV shows of the decade, I mentioned uh, Insecure as a as a contender, mm-hmm. and Melina Matsukis started out as kind of the, mm-hmm. how she did the pilot, and she did like half the first season of Insecure. She sort of like set the I think set the style of Insecure, um, and so I'm very excited to see her movie Queen and Slim. It's got Daniel Kaluuya. Oh, in she it. she made um, uh, Lemonade, the the Beyonce okay. music video. Okay, um, lots of uh, music videos I see. I see. Um, well, anyway, I'm very much looking forward to Queen and Slim, uh, and so I'm uh, e- eagerly uh, scooping up things, uh, consuming things like the song Yo Love by Vince Staples from the soundtrack to Queen and Slim. It sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com, but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one-third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Okay. Let's address the question that everyone's been waiting for our take on for over a month. Yeah. Since, over a month since Martin Scorsese uh, just laid waste Fan went scorched earth on fanboys uh, of the world, and, and by by suggesting that um, Marvel superhero movies are not cinema, and then was backed up by Francis Ford Coppola, and then Ken Loach, and just threw oh, a fuel miss, on that the Ken Loach one. I yeah. I love it. Um, uh, I love this take. And so we're going to talk. We did a recent discussion about what is a movie. Mm-hmm. I say recent it was months ago, but we did an episode when you've done twelve coming up on 13 years of, uh, of podcasts a few months ago seems pretty recent. That's true. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we did it. We did one on one. What is a movie? And that was more about talking, uh, th- that was talking about like, where's the line between like short form, you know, or web series or television series or, you know, the, the where is, where is the line there? But today we're going to talk about, is it, is it cinema? Yeah. And I'm going to say right. I, Right up front, I'm going to say that not in terms of his opinion of the quality of Marvel superhero movies, but just by my definition of cinema, Martin Scorsese is wrong because the Marvel movies are movies and therefore they are cinema. Doesn't mean they're good cinema, but to me, okay, so that's how I actually feel about cinema, but that's okay. that, that point of view I kind of 
stops the conversation. So I think we should talk about some other well, other no, things. I guess I just have to spin my wheels. And- <laughs> we should talk about some other things. Basically, what do we think? Well, I want to get your opinion on 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 uh, the definition of cinema as well. But uh, what I want to get into is what do we think Martin Scorsese meant, or what do we mean? when we use the word, when we choose to use the word cinema instead of movie or film or whatever. Yeah. But uh, I, I have some many, many thoughts, but go ahead. So I, I pitched this topic to you a few days ago and it was not even really in response to this story. Um, this was in my mind, but and I think this term specifically, the term cinema. This, uh, yes. It, it I was reading bubble back up because of this. I was, I was reading an article I was reading uh, Armand White's review of Justice League. I don't know why. Um, Armand White is, of course, a very odd figure uh, in the world of film criticism. I kind of love reading him and hate it. Yeah. He's a wordsmith. Absolutely. He writes really well. But then there are other times where I'm like, I feel like you're just saying a lot of words. Yeah. And there are times when, because he... If you read a bunch of his reviews, you get like, okay, this guy has a consistent worldview. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. But there are also times that he, because he's often accused of just being a contrarian, just hating everything that everyone loves. And there are sometimes that I do get that impression. That's I, I mean, talk about negativity on Twitter. I used to kind of hate follow Armand White on mm-hmm. Twitter, um, and it wasn't until I, I had to unfollow him early in the Trump administration when he was constantly praising Sean Spicer for his integrity. And I was like, <laughs> that's very specific. And it's, yeah. contra- it's contrarian. That's <laughs> yeah. I, that's not real. In his, Sean Spicer was like provably lying <laughs> like every day. Yeah. I mean, uh, isn't I even regardless of who the, yeah. who the press secretary, right? Yeah. That's your whole deal. Yeah. Uh, it's all, sp- I'll be generous and say it's spin. Yeah. Um, um, so anyway, I unfollowed Armand White on Twitter. Um, I, I've unfollowed a lot of people that I followed for reasons like that. Sure. Now it's people that I like. It's mostly, I follow people that I know or have met. Yeah. And I follow a lot of hockey people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's it. I don't follow many people. I follow a lot of uh, cute animal accounts. That's and cute. every once in a while, they'll be like, hey, look at this spider. It's like, go fuck yourself. Look, I know everybody has a definition of uh, different definitions of cute animals, and we don't want to eliminate spiders. But at the same time, you know people have active phobias of these things. You yeah, know? I feel like. Yeah, that's spiders and snakes, maybe, because I think they're cool. Sure. I don't know if they're, they belong on acute animals to yeah. that. I understand there are sometimes there's, like, things like uh, pygmy hippopotamus. Sure. Those are a dividing line. Some people think they're cute. Some people find their sort of, like, slimy-looking skin to be a little bit off-putting. Yeah. I th- I've come around on pygmy hippopotami. <laughs> um, All right, well, that's cute. a load off. Yeah. Um, I think most animals are cute. I think most animals can be cute. Yes. Um, so, cause I guess I just think it's cute that they're animals. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's an odd thing to find the fact of them being animals. It's like, look at that. Look at that sentient thing. Isn't it cute? Just going about its life. <laughs> That's uh, okay. All right. Yeah. So I feel, I feel like I'm predisposed <laughs> to find most animals cute because I think being an animal is cute. I feel like your attitude's a little bit patronizing, but, uh, so I think that's absolutely true. I definitely patronize my own dog and cat oh, all the time. Sure. Um, still, I mean, they're so dumb. They don't know what I'm saying. You don't time. know. 
Yeah. They could be like, this asshole again. Um, but you could so, say, like, because the, they respond to the tone of your voice. So I could say, I, I could tell my dog that uh, I hate her and she's ugly, but if I say it in, like, a cute, happy voice, she's like, well, her tail that, would wag. It's that old Penn and Teller uh, bullshit uh, demonstration where they were talking about swearing, and there's a moment where he's, uh, where Penn, t- uh, Gillette is, is uh, petting his dog and saying, like, I hate you so much. I'm <laughs> going to strangle that. you. And then at one point he goes, I love you dog. And of course the dog freaks Aww. out because it's all about tone and all that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway. don't, don't yell at your dog. Don't tell me what to do. How about that? And I'm telling the listeners don't yell. Oh, okay. Don't yell at dogs. All right. Don't ever yell at dogs. And this is to keep them from running into traffic or whatever. Of course. That's, Absolutely. But that's also probably usually doesn't work. Yeah, Once they anything, make it, might, you might, and might drive them faster, yeah. uh, into traffic. Um, no, one time I did yell at my, my old dog, Jack, I had, um, I had tendonitis in my hand, mm-hmm. uh, uh, at one point, this was like 2014, 2015 and I was walking him. So I was holding the leash and he like stopped short and it like tugged on my hand and it hurt super bad because of my tendonitis. And I went, dude, to my dog <laughs> <laughs> and then checked to see if anyone saw i don't think anyone's on all right sorry back don't to be, cinema don't be a dick yeah exactly um so yeah um i will say that i think i think armand white in his reviews i would say he has a contrarian tone but i do think i i agree i think he has a consistent worldview um for, and an outlook and there are times when he's definitely gotten me thinking about uh movies that I would otherwise dismiss. Um, obviously he's incorrect about justice league, uh, as, as incorrect as a person can be, but throughout it, he uses, he says that Zack Snyder is one of the few directors that understands cinema and he's, and he, he has used words like film and movie. So he uses cinema very specifically. And then he, he talks about this mediocre secret sequence or that one and talks about like just, just Zack Snyder just understanding the inherent cinematic power of not merely the sequence, but how to shoot it, how to film it, that kind of thing. Uh, and so I was just like, okay, so Armand White, God help me, is using the term very specifically. Yeah. And it got me thinking back when we had Mark, uh, Hoyk, uh, on the show and we talked a little bit about the Martin Scorsese thing. And, uh, and it occurred to me like for, for you and me, like you said, essentially like it's a movie and thus it's cinema. And I tend to think the same thing. And then, but Mark did not immediately jump to that. Cause he jumped on the word cinema as though it means something Different, and so that is that in, is in the so con- like in the context. Armand White's using it, in the context. Martin Scorsese is using it. It does mean something different, right? And I think, so, so I'm, my oh, sorry, go ahead. So I'm trying to think. Do, do I? Does it mean something different for me? Um, and because in the midst of all this, I also started making my top 10 of the 2010s list because we've got that, uh, that episode coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started putting that together. And as I was, you know, as I was pushing s- some movies aside and being like, that's really great, but I feel like that doesn't, I wouldn't count that and all that. Um, I found myself without even really knowing it, like the movies that I, 
included because for some reason when it's the top 10 of the decade, I have a tendency to try to be more objective, whatever that means uh, in this context mm. and try to think of like best as opposed to favorite. And I think I'm going to go through and just embrace favorite and it'll yeah, be fine. I think that's the thing um, but nonetheless, doing that, uh, I found myself putting aside movies that were too reliant, not reliant, but like they were story and character with the camera not playing really a role, editing not playing a role, all the things that one would constitute that constitutes filmmaking, like utilizing all the tools at your disposal. Now, of course, uh, my my favorite movie for a while, uh, it has changed, but my favorite movie of 2013 uh, at the time was Enough Said and the director, Nicole Holof Center. I don't mean to suggest that uh, her, the way she used the camera was less valid. She she used the camera however she thought was appropriate for the story she was telling um but uh i do think that there are some directors who are like how can we fully utilize all of the tools at our disposal for maximum emotional manipulation or impact whatever you want to say um so it's about emotion for you not well i think film is is emotional for emotional and instinctive first and intellectual second um yeah i think you're right but uh and so anything that that any film that like, again, it's, it has to do with like filmmakers taking full advantage of everything that they have at their disposal. When I think of that, I, I like, I start to get nearer to what I think people talk about when they use the word cinema. Okay. I, I think that you've come to pretty much the same conclusion that I did, that I, the, the way that Martin Swayze talked about it, and I'll say the way that Armin White was talking about it. Uh, it's about sound and image over time, but, irrespective of drama or independent of drama. It doesn't, it it can't, it it does serve the story. Yeah. But what they're talking about is that, um, they're referring to that part of the filmmaking. Um, Yeah. And, and the idea that it's, so th- this week uh, in my class, uh, the, the chapter that we're talking about in the book is called uh, The Film as a Whole. Because we spent the last few weeks talking about sound, music, cinematography, and now it's like, okay, now here's how they all work together. And the film that I show for that is Psycho. Because that's one where all strong characters, strong story, and the storytelling and the structure is vital. But And one can make the argument that it's leading the technical and stylistic choices, but those are so strong and so purposeful and forceful that I don't see where one leads the other. They just all seem to exist, uh, in just like one great, God help me, uh, tapestry. Um, that like, if you pull one thread, it's like, no, they're all attached at this point. Like to me, like psycho is cinema as opposed to, I mean, of course, they're all cinema, but speaking in these definitions, um, it's something that that is a story and character driven film, but it's it's still, again, relying on these amazing filmmaking tools in order to fully bring that out uh, in a way that a lesser filmmaker might not have. Um, I want to go back to, there's a couple of points I want to make, uh, based on what you, based on a couple of different things you said. Um, one of them is, I think, well, I understand where Armand White is coming from. 
in terms of Zack Snyder. How often do you get to say that? I know. But, you, you know, you and I, and we're not the only people, a lot of people have often uh, given the Oscars a hard time for, especially technical categories, that it's often, it's not best makeup, it's most makeup. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and most editing, most visual effects. And I feel like Zack Snyder's movies are very obviously yeah. cinematic. Um, I feel like a problem that I have with uh, Zack Snyder and Michael Bay is that their cinema is either unmotivated or very shallowly or superficially motivated. Sure. Um, uh, and that it tends to be, it tends to, so the, the like, Oh, that's a cool shot. Nature of a Zack Snyder or Michael Bay movie tends to wear off real quick for me mm-hmm. um, because it's coming from uh, a not very uh, deeply considered place. But um, what I'm saying is, I want to go back to like I think Nicole Hall, a director like Nicole Hall Center, or maybe some like a Noah Baumbach. I haven't seen uh, Marriage Story yet, sure. but Myra Witt stories like that's cinema. Like mm-hmm. just because it's not like there's not like low wide angle lenses and like a roaming camera. Like these are still directors who are thinking about their mise-en-scene. They're thinking about blocking and thinking about framing. Like that's still cinema. Um, and, and I think we do a disservice by, um, uh, only focusing on the things that are like, you know, your Kubrick's and, and, and your, like, uh, I think, yeah, yeah. The big, big things. Whereas, um, to go back to Martin Scorsese's point, I think one of the things about the house style of Marvel is that, uh, with some exceptions, there's not a lot of thought put in to, um, to framing and blocking and things like that. There's, it, it does seem like the camera is just like, um, uh, it has like an, like an anodyne version of like a home movie, but just with a bunch of CG, it's just the camera's there to catch what it needs to catch. And it's not really, uh, uh, that, that well thought out. I would say, uh, I think Joss Whedon, uh, has, um, cinematically has some good compositions in Mm -hmm. his two. Um, Peyton Reed does some okay stuff. Um, with the, with the Ant-Man movies. Um, I don't know. Maybe Scott Derrickson. I don't know. I didn't, uh, I, there's there are a lot of I'm trying to think what are the more visual visually compelling um, and not and by, by the by which I don't just mean the biggest and loudest and most CG ish you right. know um, but the thought but, through and like really and I honestly the the newer Spider Man movie with Mysterio who again okay. is all it's all about illusions uh, and I feel like they they do utilize in this case the visual effects but it still is very mapped out and very clearly. Uh, put together. Um, um, so that was the first point I wanted to make. The second one I wanted to make, here's an interesting thought, Okay, is that part of the reason the Marvel movies look like they do is because they're, uh, they're so heavily computer-enhanced mm-hmm. that they approach animation. And when you were talking about a filmmaker using filmmaking tools... Sure is by this definition is animation then not really cinema is it its own thing i i mean i that's a tool just like any okay. like anything else i mean you look at even okay so a map painting 
is also not a real thing. Mm-hmm. It is something that is drawn and painted uh, so that it can give an illusion. In this case, it's the illusion that it is real and that it is there. And with animation, it's giving the it's still the illusion of movement. Although, I mean, it, it's the same principle, but hand drawing something so that each frame is a little bit different. That is a <clears throat> genuine illusion. Whereas like when it's computer graphics, it's a similar principle, but it's a different, a different process. Um, and so I, I'm willing to say that animation is, is another, is another tool. And in some, you know, in the case of some movies, it's the primary tool. Um, but if that's the case, you know, uh, though I am no fan of the story of avatar, like that is a heavily CG movie. And that is a movie that I would consider even in this, even in the more limited definition of cinema that we are entertaining at the moment, that's still a cinematic, um, that's a cinematic, uh, achievement. Um, okay. Okay. Um, so then what, what kind of movies then aren't cinema by this definition? And that's, I feel like I can make a case for anything. I, I I could probably make the case for like I hate to say it anything smaller and that would appear you know like what you were talking about with with um, the Marvel movies like I, even even in this hypothetical context that we're talking about almost this for the sake of argument context that we're discussing I'm reluctant to say. that doesn't count because what a horrible thing to say. Um, But, uh, and even as you're talking about like the Marvel movies, like having shots where like the shots, there's not a lot of like thought or effort putting, putting, being put into them. It's like, well, of course there is, there still is thought being put into it for the impact that the director wants in that moment. It's just not, it maybe just isn't as compelling as it could be, but it's maybe as compelling as he wants it to be. Like if we are true auteurists here, uh, and of course it's hard to talk about that when it comes to the Marvel movies because, because Kevin Feige is the, he's the auteur. auteur yeah. Um, and maybe that's the issue. Maybe, you know, Scorsese and everybody else, like in talking about cinema, you have to incorporate elements of the, the director's intention and studio limitation and, the Marvel movies are where those two things come together, but in a, in a truly unholy union in many ways. And I like a lot of the Marvel movies and I really, really respect what they did and what they were. They're still going, but it's basically over as far as I'm concerned. That's um, so weird to me that you have, because you're not alone in that. And that's so weird to me. It's, it's more like, that I, I never just, thought Endgame was, I know it's called Endgame, but I never really yeah. thought it was the end. We know there's a bunch of stuff coming. There is. Uh, it's more just, I felt like because we're building to this very distinct thing, I want everything. I want to see everything that's a part of that. And now that that thing is over, I give my, I've given myself permission to not ha- not feel obligated to see everything, which was an attitude I already had. And you didn't. Um, uh, right. I think the other way around. Well, no, I, I have the ash, the attitude of obligation. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah I see not. what you're saying. Um, um, I already, but I already had what you had. Now that's like uh, to, to address another Marvel related thing that Kevin Feige was apparently said recently that like the Disney Plus shows are going to be integral to the story going forward, and 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 you're going to have to watch the Disney Plus shows to know what's going on. And I'm telling you, as someone who skipped about half the Marvel movies, no, you don't. You'll, 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 <laughs> you'll pick it up. You'll get. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Jen is going through all the Marvel movies right now with her friend. It's like just a fun thing that they're doing, and so uh, and for her uh, who really likes serialized TV and mm-hmm. all that, she 
she would watch random things here and there and, and have to piece things together. But she also doesn't think she doesn't think about bullshit comic book logic. And so she's like, how on earth does that connect? And I'm like, well, in this other movie, this thing happened. She's like, that makes no sense. Uh, and it's like, but then when she sees it, she goes, Oh, okay. I get it. Um, and um, so, yeah. so I do think that, um, so I'm reluctant to say again, even in this abstract argument that we're making, uh, that anything is not cinema, but I would say I'd be inclined, God help me. Even a great, even a movie that I love, like a, like a Kramer versus Kramer, uh, just I'm thinking of like a domestic drama with really great acting and really great characters. I don't th- when I think of that movie, I think of the characters and the acting. I don't think of what does the movie look like? What is it? F- I don't think of what it what does it feel like? I when I think of the movie, what I the the vi- the kind of the vibe that I get is similar to when you're talking about friends of yours going through something bad or that have got, they've gone through something bad. I find myself talking about these moments that are, you know, it's still a film. And so these are memorable and remarkable scenes, but they are scenes of strong writing and good acting. And that's not a crime, but at the same time, I don't think of it as, you know, when somebody uses the word cinematic, they mean something. Uh, and, I would not describe Kramer versus Kramer as cinematic Mm. as opposed to a movie that came out the same year, Apocalypse Now, which is as in my opinion, as cinematic as you can get alien is the same year as Mm -hmm. well. Um, I don't know why I got locked into 79. I just felt like I wanted some level of some common denominator between them. But I guess I I don't want to like, um, trying to think of, uh, what the film was recently that uh i can't remember now but um damn it our our, our uh, editor large scott um was tweeting about oh he was talking about um people like when it came to claire denise recent films mm-hmm. that people like and, and i didn't I'm, I'm i'm partially guilty of this too because i didn't see um uh let the sunshine in is that what it was called yeah uh but i did see high life and he was saying people uh, you know, kind of overlook the smaller movie because there's a movie about space. So like, but Claire Denis movies are all cinematic, yeah. uh, even if they're, whether they're about space or, or they're about a traffic jam yeah. or, or whatever. Um, so I don't want to get into this, the, the habit of doing the Armin white thing of saying, no, this is cinema because it's big. You know right. what I mean? Um, because there are a lot, because like we're talking about the Marvel movies, there are a lot of things that are big that don't feel very cinematic to me. Here's the case in point. This is actually going back a couple of years. I, uh, in an argument, uh, with someone used the word cinema, uh, new year's Eve party, 2017. Um, <laughs> I like the, I like this. Uh, I, yeah, I was on, on the balcony, the new year's Eve party, um, uh, a, a, a house party. Um, and a guy that I just met that night, uh, he found out that I like movies and watch a lot of movies. And he asked me if I had seen the last Jedi yet. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out he's one of the anti last Jedi people. And so we got into a, a very long, a very friendly, but a very long discussion that yeah. night, um, about, about the last Jedi. And one of the arguments that I made is that, um, like regardless of, 
how you feel about the how Last Jedi fits into the saga, which is something that I have trouble with. It's like, I mean, part of it, it's, <laughs> this is going to sound like a, a dismissive comparison, but it's like arguing about someone who's Christian and they bring up what well, the Bible says, but it's like, but I don't, yeah. uh, baseline, I have a different opinion of the Bible than you do, so we're not yeah. t- talking the same language. So when people talk about like, Oh, Yoda wouldn't do that. I can't, I can't remember what, what people's arguments are necessarily about the last Jedi, but like how it fits into, that's not how the force works or stuff like that. I'm like, that's not, I don't care. That's uh, I don't care about that. And what I said was after force awakens, it feels refreshing to be talking about a star Wars movie as a work of cinema and not just as a star Wars movie. And that was one of my arguments for why I like the last Jedi so much is that you don't have to talk about how does this fit into everything? It is just, I feel like if you had never seen a Star Wars movie and didn't really know about the saga and the first one you started with was The Last Jedi, you'd think, hey, that was cool. That was a cool movie. Yeah, I think Ryan Johnson directed that movie with an eye towards iconic moments and iconic being visually and sort of this momentous. And again, you could say big, but it, it can be as big as that moment where the ship goes through another ship, which and it. Super cool. It's a great moment. But then it could be as small but emotionally big as Kylo Ren and Rey turning back to back, not going mm-hmm. against each other, but back to back against this room oh, yeah. full of enemies. That's, That's a great moment, too. That's like my favorite scene, I think. It's a it's a it's great in a lot of ways. And so yeah. like those are and he knows they're iconic. Uh, he he knows that they're big moments in the story and he wants to realize them as visually as he can. And so, and that is honestly, that is the mindset of a, of a filmmaker. Um, and then as far as uh, the thing that gets me in this, it, yes, I've had arguments with star Wars people as well. Um, and I had, to, I recently, I said, fuck star Wars fans. I was speaking generally, obviously. Um, I don't mean that, but, um, <laughs> but I will say, uh, that anytime someone's like, like Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker would never do that. My answer is like, no, you just did. Yeah. <laughs> See? So now what? Yeah. Me, I'm, but that's the thing is rather than have just a movie series be consistent from one movie to the next uh, and characters be consistent, it's like people are contradictory uh, in a way that is frustrating and invigorating at the same time. And so if Luke's, if the Luke Skywalker you know, who incidentally you haven't seen in 30 years, but if the Luke Skywalker you know does this thing that, that goes against what you think you can either say, no, that's not him. Or you can say what must have happened to him yeah, as a character years. Yeah, yeah. for him to arrive here. That's it. Yeah. That's better. Like that is that to me is more invigorating. It, requ- it, it allows me to em- engage in the, in the universe in a deeper way than simply being told, Hey, you know, that thing you like, yeah, here's some more of it. Um, right. And I, and yeah, it's, and I think J.J. Abrams, to stick with Star Wars, I think he is a, a director who thinks in terms of, of cinema, but I don't think... And see, he, I don't think that. I think he kind of tricked me into thinking that with Super 8, mm-hmm. but he was just... which I, And I, I, I like Super 8, yeah. but I feel like he was just, oh, you were just mimicking other people who think cinematically, yeah, that's... like a Steven Spielberg or a Robert Zemeckis, um, who's one of the most frustrating directors for me sure. out there because I think he is someone who is often working in pure cinematic terms uh, and then 
he undercuts himself. Uh, I, I don't know. That's you know, when I think of so Force Awakens, actually, I think of care. I think of characters. Yeah. And interplay and that kind of thing. But I don't think of these m- moments the way I do with yeah. Last Jedi. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas Star Wars, uh, sorry, A New Hope. Nah. Uh, has it's has moments and even this is I, I i think i said this on the podcast recently is that um i a part of me wants to go back and watch the prequels because given how i have changed as a film fan and what those movies are yeah i feel like i might like them more now because i might have been expecting too much in terms of things like character plausibility or motivation or yeah. consistency or plot things like that. Like, um, but when I think about them now, they like, they, they do have visual moments that, that, that stand out. I think I don't, I've seen them somewhat recently okay. and I still don't remember with a couple of exceptions here and there from like the last one. Well, that pod race in the first one's pretty cool, right? I suppose. No, I thought people liked the pottery. Some people do. I find it, I feel like it goes on a really long time and it's pretty monotonous. Um, I like the, uh, I, it's hilarious to me that there's a fifties theme diner in, in attack of the clones, Dexter Jetsters, right? That's him. Yeah. That's yeah. Of all the like weird star Wars stuff that I have not retained in terms of like character and, species and planet names dexter jesters is something that i just love uh i love the yeah, theme do, of it do you love it for real or do you love it uh i think i like so it. i think i like it in the sense that like this feels like no no disney star wars movie would have that in it because there's too much of a committee type of sure type of thing whereas yeah uh the, you, the prequels are just it. like fox giving george lucas yeah. a ton of money to make whatever uh, whatever yeah. he wanted you have to admire that kind of mistake because it's the kind of mistake <laughs> that, that only one person with total control yeah. can make um yeah and so it it in many ways it does seem appropriate that in a discussion I guess that's kind of how it started. But in a discussion about cinema, we wind up talking about a lot of mainstream movies and franchises and tentpole films. Um, because I do think that there's to me, you know, here's a conversation that I, it's not a thing I say very often, but I hear it a lot whenever somebody's talking about a movie and they say, it's a movie you've got to see in the theater as mm-hmm. opposed to it's like, it's like, oh, it's good. I don't think you need to see it in the theater. Now, sometimes they're talking about money, uh, but I think they're, anytime they say there's a movie you have to see in the theater, chances are they're not talking about it from the point of view of you got to see this character on the big screen. They're talking about moments and iconography and, and okay. that sort of thing. And so uh, I do think that people using the definition of cinema that we're kind of cobbling together and not necessarily believing. Um, (laughs) I do think that people think in those terms, uh, without necessarily giving it a label. Um, you know, if a movie is whenever people describe a movie as like a roller coaster ride, you know, whenever people talk about when I hear the word cinematic, uh, nine times out of 10, the movie that the, the word that comes after is experience. Like, mm-hmm. and when, but it's funny you use roller coaster ride because that's the 
kind of the example that Martin that, Scorsese that, used true. Yeah, yeah. to say that Marvel movies weren't cinema because yeah. they were more like theme park rides. And to me, it's just like, Okay. Okay. Well, not necessarily roller yeah. coasters. I like theme park rides, uh, like dark rides at uh, mm-hmm. uh, Disneyland and stuff like that, um, because there's a great deal of thought being put into them. And what's more is some a big part of the thought is directing the attention of the person on the ride at all times, so that you're not looking over here where a light is, uh, because you're so you're focused on you know, the witch from Snow White or something like that. And so, uh, so even in these popcorn movies, roller coaster rides, theme park ride type movies that, that people are inclined to dismiss the same, you know, and I, I'm fine with wrapping up and bringing it back to what we actually think. Well, I um, wanted to say like to the last thing I would point I wanted to make is also kind of going back, but uh, going back to some, something else that, that you said, um, I had stuff to say coming in and now I've mostly reacted to what you said, which is great. Uh, uh, that's, you're, that's you're welcome to, to say uh, your thing. No, I think I might managed to touch at okay. least touch on a lot of them. Um, uh, I don't think I had to shoehorn in was the, uh, New Year's Eve party uh, argument. <laughs> um, but, uh, something you were saying about, about feeling and about our and cinema being emotional, movies being emotional first. um, and I think about the, um, I've referenced this so much this year, uh, but in the movie, the souvenir, um, Richard Iode's character has a discussion about, I think he says Leo Tolstoy's definition of art, which is that a person has a feeling, or I guess Tolstoy said a man has a feeling, but mm-hmm. a person has a feeling and then tries to recreate that for other people. That's basically <laughs> what art is. That's the, or that's the definition offered up in, in the souvenir. And so, um, I guess the thing about cinema as we're discussing it is how are the cinematic tools, uh, again, to use your word, manipulated to, to, uh, to, um, inspire certain emotions, you know, when, uh, when Andy Dufresne escapes from Shawshank Redemption, sorry, from Shawshank Prison, <laughs> and then he escapes from the movie, it's a last action hero right. type of. Um, I feel like no, Armand White yeah. could have been like, "Ugh, I feel like I just escaped from this movie." <laughs> no, when he escapes from Shawshank Prison, obviously it's a triumphant moment because it's the culmination of his what fifteen years of 19, uh, I think yeah. nineteen years uh, of of trying to escape, but also in the moment, the choice to shoot it from above the choice to add rain, the choice to have the music that you, that you have the choice for it to be at night. Like all of these things that are, like I said, independent of the, the facts of the drama and the character arc. Yeah. Those like, you know, uh, I'm drawing a blank on uh, the director's name. Um, Frank Darabont. uh, Frank Darabont is not just, telling you what happened and expecting you to be right. like, wow, that's great for Andy Dufresne. He's, yeah. he's trying to, he's using cinema to make you feel what Andy Dufresne is, is feeling. Yeah. It's the difference between sympathy and empathy. Like you can, he could shoot right. Andy Dufresne getting away from far away. And you would still, because you're connected to the character, because you, you're on board with him, you can be like, Oh, good for him. Yeah. But he shoots it in a way that almost makes you feel, you're not going to think this way, but you're almost going to, you, you feel almost like good for us. We made it out. Yeah. Not he made it out. Like you can leave anytime you want. Um, you can check out anytime you want, but you can never leave. Um, but, uh, and so I do think that, 
yeah, I mean, it, I wonder if that decision that you're talking about, I think that's a perfect uh, example because, yeah, he's utilizing all of these things to put you in the, the mindset and the, the, the emotional state of this character, even right down to when he, he, he stands up and like holds his, his arms mm-hmm. out. And what's more is Andy Dufresne is an unemo- is not the most emotional character. He's right. a smart character. And so an argument could be made that the Andy Dufresne I know uh, would not <laughs> would not do that. That yeah. he would actually keep going and not let himself feel that sense of freedom until he was full on, you know, no chance of anyone seeing him or finding him. Like only then would he finally when he's when he's on that beach, would he finally let himself feel that. But he is still feeling that. And so they let the character actually like everything is give is is um, subject to the feeling that the character, whether he's letting himself or not, that the character is feeling and that he wants the audience to feel. And so, yeah. uh, And that's the thing is there are plenty of directors that I love, Robert Altman being one of them, who does not often make those choices. But he's still uh, very cinematic. He's still very cinematic. Yeah. Um, but he also tends to keep a bit of a distance from his characters. And, but that's a that's a distinct cinematic choice that he's it is. that he's doing. And his movies tend to be very um, when they're working. Uh, they're almost there's almost a hypnotic nature mm-hmm. to uh, to the way the camera. Uh, moves and moves in and moves along. Yeah. It, uh, and so I think it's very powerful. He's very powerfully cinematic. And he's somebody, cause that's the thing is when we talk about cinematic, the way you and I are at the moment, we tend to think about what the camera is doing, but there can be cinematic editing as well. And mm-hmm. I think Robert Altman, there's a very specific rhythm. You said hypnotic. I think you're absolutely right. There's a very hypnotic, almost musical rhythm to his movies, especially the ones that have to do with music, but even ones like Gosford Park have that to them as well. Um, and so Gosford Park's great. Also, we're talking about movies that have to do with music. Uh, the company is really underrated Robert Altman. And you know what? I still haven't seen, I've heard great things. I would consider it a personal top five Altman for me. Interesting. Yeah. He's, he's put out, he put out so many movies that there are still movies from the seventies and the eighties that he made that I haven't seen. And then I still haven't seen the company. Uh, so yeah, he's somebody that I can still go back and, and, and revisit his stuff or I guess visit for, for the first time. Um, and so that's the thing is the nature of this conversation, because we've been speaking in abstractions and almost playing devil's advocate, has been has been its own kind of hypnotic swirling situation, um, and so I I I am with you. I mean, to go back to where we started, which is that like a director is making artistic decisions all the time, and whether it, it we we have the freedom of determining whether they are putting as much thought into it as they could, uh-huh. but maybe they're putting as much thought as they are able to. Or maybe they genuinely feel like, no, I think the best way to get this reaction from this audience is to shoot a, just a standard shot, reverse shot situation for this, for this, yeah. uh, interaction, you know? Um, and, and they thought, and they think that, uh, you know, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of the one take, uh, like the, the long take, okay. especially in an action movie. Um, there's no question that that is cinematic. But for me, it's the it's the opposite of empathetic. All it does is take me out uh, of the of that situation. So I never notice, and if I do notice, it's, it's then I don't like it. But yeah. I usually don't. 
I usually don't notice. I start. To, it depends on how long it is. Uh, that, so you're dreading 1917, huh? I'm. I've, I'm going to the screening, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, but that, like the the one for uh, what's it called, True Detective from season one? Yeah, I didn't notice until the next morning uh, when I got onto Twitter. Mm-hmm. That was when people were talking about it. I was like, oh, I guess that was. Same thing I have with Atomic Blonde. Is that I like saw it, wrote my whole review, had no. Rec- did not recognize yeah. at all that there was this, uh, a long, although that one's like 1917, it's full of hidden cuts. Yeah. But um, uh, did you ever see Atomic Plant? No. Uh, it's cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, post my review and everything, and then only once other reviews started coming out that I, that I realized, like, oh, I guess, yeah, that stairwell fight or that apartment building fight was. I never noticed. But do you think you, like, you, okay, you may not notice, uh, to go with what the red letter media guys say, you, you might not have noticed, but your brain did. So like knowing after the fact that, Oh, that sequence was one shot, uh, one take, pardon me. Um, do you feel like almost retroactively you're like, Oh, that yes, I was feeling this in that moment. Yeah, yeah probably. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, for me, uh, there, there can be a certain self-consciousness to it. Like I, I will say the very first time I watched touch of evil, I did not realize that that was that the, that very famous uh, mm-hmm. take at the beginning of the movie was all one. Um, I don't think I realized it necessarily in, uh, children and men. There are two of those. Um, that one I did notice. I think I noticed the car because that's one where it's like, okay, we seem to be going to great pains to, stay in this car. Oh, I see what he's doing. Yeah. I think because I noticed the car, I noticed the one at the end. Sure. Sure. Also because there's a part where there's, I can't remember if it's blood or mud that splatters in the lens and like yeah, without yeah. cutting, he clean, he like, yeah, as the camera like pans through like a shadow or whatever, yeah. suddenly the splatter disappears. I noticed that. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, and the, the, the long take in, uh, gone with the wind you know where you're seeing the the bat the the injured yeah. soldiers and stuff that's really not that different of a concept than the one in atonement the um, one in atonement is the one though that i always point to is like i roll i was rolling my eyes while it was happening yeah it's like it's absolutely an achievement good for you <laughs> um and what's odd is like birdman that's one where they have these hidden cuts but they do have these long takes and it doesn't bother me at all because everything about that movie is self-conscious. So it doesn't upset me. It's not guess, trying to, yeah, like, I guess it doesn't bother me in particular because everything about that movie bothers me. And so, <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that movie. Um, there, there's a lot that I like about that movie. Um, we, we should wrap up. Yeah. Cause it's very late. Uh, we didn't say that, but it's very late. Yeah. It's but some, sometimes these like cinematic decisions can actually, these quotes around cinematic decisions can have the opposite effect of what one would assume the director is trying to do. And so as, as a function that I am I'm comfortable saying that even the most straightforward, uh, you know, evenly lit, uh, no Dutch angles, low angles or wide angles, like just a very, just a very methodically paced and edited film. Even that, uh, is cinema because at some point a director, uh, the director makes mm. at least one, but we know it's not just one choice where they're like, we're choosing to cut here. We're choosing to cut to this person at this moment, because at that moment they are trying to elicit a certain reaction from the audience. Mm-hmm. Anytime a director is doing that, the film might be effective. It might be ineffective, but it is still, I think cinema. 
Okay. Well, uh, thank you for listening to this. You can find us at battleshipretention.com. Uh, this week I have posted reviews of, well, by the time you're hearing this, I posted reviews of the warrior queen of Jancy and the hottest August and scandalous, which is a documentary about the national Enquirer. Oh yeah. Um, I, I kept getting invites I haven't watched for that. it yet. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> but uh, uh, you'll see what I thought of it. Um, it's all, it should be on the website. There's all sorts of other stuff on the website. Uh, there's also the Patreon. Um, you can get uh, this past week on the Patreon. We did, I think we do one uh, roughly once a month where we pick a year at random and give ourselves five minutes to throw together a list and do our top five um, of that year. We did 1941. Uh, you won't be surprised by yeah. our number one, but it's still a fun conversation. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you know what? And also I never, I never say this cause I, I, I always think it's so stupid that other podcasts do it, but it honestly helps like, the whole like rate and review us thing. Oh, sure. We should probably ask people to do that because it does really help. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I never think to do it. I, I never think to as well, but yeah, we're available on, on iTunes. And if you leave a star rating, if you write a review, um, that, that does help. It always helps. Um, you know, it helps to raise our profile and get other people hearing about us and getting us recommended and all that kind of thing. So yeah, so uh, I can see that. Yeah. You can email us at David at battleshippretension.com or Tyler at battleshippretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at David Pretension. You can follow Tyler at Tyler Pretension. Anything to plug? So over at More Than One Lesson, uh, the guys at uh, The Fear of God have been going through some uh, foreign language uh, horror movies um, because they are interested in what non-American directors are doing. And so they talk about the movie Goodnight Mommy. Uh, and then I wrote a lengthy article about... Um, the Clint Eastwood film Richard Jewell, more specifically uh, his choice to release the film now and what I think about that. Okay, so um, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.